Hi, and welcome to the Sunday Lunch Project Manager podcast for Sunday, the 2nd of October. This is your host, Nigel Creaser. And today we have Victoria McKenna, the fashionable project manager. Okay, news, what's going on? Well, to be honest, today is the, I think it's TCS, London Marathon. So uh, it's a little bit of a marathon special for this one. No reason why other than I'm interested. And Victoria, who is my guest, is actually running uh, the London Marathon today. It's quite uh, serendipitous, as I described it on LinkedIn, that um, the dates that I'd scheduled for her interview to be published uh, coincided with her run in London because at the time I didn't even know she was running London um, uh, so she's if you're listening to this on Sunday she's running it if you're listening to this beyond Sunday she will have finished it now um, and I'm sure she will have smashed it um, so yeah that was quite uh, quite an interesting um, coincidence life has these coincidences doesn't it um, what's been going on with me um, you can probably hear I have a little bit of a cold uh, kind of knocked me about a little bit in the early part of the week in the back end of last weekend uh, but what's been going on mainly our focus is has been around my girls uh, at the moment um, last weekend was my eldest 16th birthday uh, well on the Monday um, which uh, God only knows where those uh, 16 years have gone um, it seems a long time it seems like it's forever and it seems like five minutes uh, I'm sure other parents out there um, have the same experience, uh, which is crazy. And then today also, on the 2nd, is my youngest's birthday, uh, and she's 11. Um, so again, another bit of a milestone moving up into big schools next year and things like that. So um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of focus on getting parties ready, getting presents ready, all that sort of stuff, which all of those items in themselves are projects, as we all know. Um, event planning is one of the hardest pro- parts of project management, I think, because it is one of those things where um, it, it's, it all comes together in that big culmination. All those pieces that fit together sometimes only fit together for those few hours. Um, and uh, coordinating a bunch of uh, kids to get to somewhere to have a party, getting cakes done, getting food prepared, all those things. We, we use all these tools of project management all the time. Um, and delegation etc so uh yes i think uh, maybe that's another idea for a book kids parties the project management method um but uh, i'm not sure how many people would be interested in that uh what else have i got to talk about i read a fantastic article just before coming in to record this this i'm recording this on saturday uh from a good friend john kesselfell jonathan kesselfell um on becoming more sendatsu uh a great article, uh, well, a set of four articles. Uh, I'll put a link in the in the show notes. It's about becoming a sendatsu, which uh, is about leadership. And John's done a YouTube video on it and a, and a couple of articles. And I highly recommend both. Um, it talks about sendatsu who were guides in um, uh, uh, Japan, I think it was, um, who would lead people through pilgrimages through an area of, of woodland um, you can tell I took it in really well I think I took the message in rather than the story better than anything else um, and they had they fulfilled four different kind of ways of um, leading people 
through these areas and it wasn't all about a, a forced march kind of thing it was about there's some teaching in there there's coaching in there there's pioneering in there and um it really interesting way a bit a little bit enlightening a little bit challenging uh in thinking um and um really applicable to to to, to today and, and the leadership that we all need to be doing because um, the, the strength of leadership these days within our projects um, is changed and the expectation in the way that we change it was used to be very command and control um, but that has changed significantly now um, and expectation from people and good leaders is different so heartily recommend it he talks about star wars as well which is great so always catches my eye um so uh, that, that's worth uh, having to read um uh, i think that's mainly uh, all i wanted to chat about today um yeah i think i'll just let you uh, get on and listen to the fascinating story uh, of victoria mckenna so enjoy and speak later So today I want to welcome Victoria McKenna to the show. Born in the 1980s, she was quite a naughty child apparently. We may find out a little bit about that. Very artistic and quite sensitive. She never actually knew what she wanted to do in life for a very long time and not until 2014. And from leaving university, she followed the path into the world of telecom sales, which was the start of a long and enjoyable career, finishing up as a project manager, which she loved. As a young adult, for years, she dreamt of designing bespoke clothes for women, but didn't have the faith to bring that to fruition. Uh, learned how to power dress in a corporate world and became obsessed with waistcoats. I love a waistcoat as well. And she still is obsessed with it. And she was obsessed with looking serious, but with an edge. In 2014, however, her life changed. And after a period of stress, she had a stroke. And we'll touch on that, I'm sure. And life stopped. She lost a career and took on uh, took a total of two years to properly recover after heart surgery. And uh, if there's ever time to take a long, hard look at yourself, she says, she says on her bio, uh, it was during that period. Uh, and uh, I'm, so the brand was born. She decided to move into um, what she dreamed of as a kid. Uh, so, Victoria, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. A little bit of a butchered... Um, uh, intro there which isn't unusual on this um and i'm just trying to find you back on my screen because i'm trying to get the other bits that i was reading on you so apologies for the talk so like i say welcome to the show um and how are you doing okay thanks yeah good <laughs> so let's start let's start at the beginning shall we where were you born where are you from okay uh so i was actually born in aberdeen in scotland um because my dad was in the RAF so oh, that's yeah. why we were up there nice nice um, and where are you living now so now I'm in Oswestry in Shropshire and this is where my family are now <clears throat> brilliant obviously and for those who don't know on the show this is down the road and I'm a born bred Oswestrian and I I saw Victoria's post on LinkedIn on something on one of the I can't remember whose post it was I think it I think I think it was Adrian's, wasn't it? I saw that and I, oh, yeah, oh, project manager. Oh, there's, there's a candidate for my interview, someone local. Most people I've interviewed have either been thousands of miles away or at least hundreds. Um, so that's cool. 
that's really good so um you mentioned family and friends what's 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 the family situation with you uh well i actually uh had a lockdown baby oh right uh, nice so, yeah <laughs> a little surprise there and she's 15 months old now so oh wow uh, congratulations thank yeah. you yeah that's brilliant so you're learning you've got a major project there then yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's taking its toll as well because um you know I had her when I was 40 as well which is yeah that's, a, system. <laughs> that, that's a, a change to lifestyle a change to life and everything isn't it yeah absolutely oh wow so it so, sounds like you've gone through um quite a bit of uh, uh upheaval in the past few years then from that point of view um and also from 2014 when you changed careers and I know that now you have um uh the Victoria McKenna did label and you've got the uh I'm gonna get it wrong shoppy designs shoppy t-shirts shoppy t-shirts yeah yes that's it yeah which um uh it's again a very different change to the project management but I imagine there's there's probably quite a few parallels we'll draw in, in the conversation there but as I mentioned in reading out your bio there you um where you you're saying you're born up in Aberdeen where where we did you grow up there or were you traveling around a lot with your with your dad and uh when, when you did wherever you did grow up that's probably answered the question but what did you want to be well um we obviously lived on um quite a few military bases yeah. bases um and we only stayed in the uk all oh, right yeah um so sort of up and down the country a lot in the south um and then my dad finally uh got a job in Shrewsbury right. as one is one of his last postings so we decided to move the family up um so it's a lot of well, a few schools I'd say four or five different schools yeah and so what, what what did you want to be was it always a fashion designer or was there something else no I actually had this thing about being a judge oh wow <laughs> that was what I really wanted thought I could you know, I thought I can do that. Yeah. I really want to be a judge. So um, that was why I chose law at university. I did. Mm -hmm. I did complete the law degree. Um, yeah. I mean, I completed it, but quite badly <laughs> um, <laughs> because my heart wasn't really in it and it was not what I was good at. So I was always very arty. <clears throat> yeah. But it, that doesn't traditionally that doesn't make the money, does it? <clears throat> That's what you your parents say anyway you know <clears throat> yeah and I think I th well I think also I think it's changing isn't it as well like in the last uh, yeah. if you if uh, I'm a, a bit older than you I'm not gonna say how much um but growing up um artists and musicians and actors and eye fluting things were not things you could make a career out of that wasn't a proper exactly. job was it uh and and whereas now I think it's kind of I I, I think maybe maybe it's us growing up as as leading our our kids it's kind of you kind of go well whilst it's not for me yeah if you want to make money as a youtuber you can see how you can do it you can entertain you can create more i suppose it's open to more people as well you can be an, a, a creative and sell it yourself you don't have to go to a gatekeeper who chooses whether you sort of like anoints you as good enough as a creative yeah. whether it be in the fashion industry whether it be in the music industry or anything you're in that position nowadays where I think and I like I'm, I'm glad it's that way that the, the gatekeepers are not not as in control as they probably used to be 
yeah that's yeah that's exactly hit the nail on the head yeah yeah if you if you're going to do an art degree you were going to become a teacher weren't you that was the the yeah. point of it most of the time that was the, the oh you're going to be an art teacher are you because that was the only career that someone there rather than creating a 160 million pound um nft art piece that you could do now yeah. it's, it's, it was, well, it's interesting now, what yeah. you can do now is just so impressive you yeah know, all, all different angles of you know design that you can do and yeah yeah amazing. yeah, yeah cuz uh, just thinking about that is you like with your with your t-shirt stuff as well you could end up doing and your clothes design you can embed nfts in those and then they'd be unique individual pieces of clothing wouldn't they as well you know there's a you, you know and it's like nowadays you'll make a thing a thing and if it was mass produced it's mass produced isn't it um and you think about it it's like the books isn't it your first edition of a book you can have you could someone could buy the first edition of one of your clothes and no one else would have the first edition yeah <laughs> it adds a lot of, yeah, I I could, yeah 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 I, I, i'm don't tell anyone that i had that no, idea don't. i'm sure someone's doing it but if you do it and you make your millions buy me a pint at the stone house that'd be yeah. great <laughs> so yeah so yeah you went along you did your law degree um you didn't come out with what maybe you was hoping to was i suppose I, that's one of those things that um i know it's it can really change your outlook on life through that period of going I know I was um, about to go into college and um, a friend of mine who left school what what was he doing oh he's doing a level accountancy and I said the hell are you doing that for it's boring I was doing business studies came out of there and started working as an accountant straight after that and and that was in a period of two years it was kind of like it kind of like how your things and I imagine it's a similar sort of thing you've gone in you're going to be a judge you're looking to be a lawyer and then you get part way through your studies and realize this isn't this isn't what I really am kind of going against the grain sort of thing yeah I I totally disagreed with a lot of the um a lot of the things that sit within the law didn't really I couldn't get my head around them you know it I mean it is what it is it's not always black and white, obviously, but um, yeah. I just didn't agree with some of the the things and the processes. And I thought, I can't do this. I can't, yeah. I can't bring myself to work like that. So I left and um, I got a job as a waitress, as as you do when you, yeah. you sort of leave education and you're a bit you're a bit lost. So you you just go and get a job locally, don't you? And yeah. and then um, I sort of floated into a a sales job um, with the telecoms uh, network hardware distributor it was a local one and it just sort of went from there and then I then I worked for one of their suppliers inadvertently (laughs) I left them worked for a supplier and then I realized where my strengths really lied um, because I was ebbing towards quite technical based job roles yeah. that was what interested me not sales I'm terrible at, on a phone trying to sell something it's really hard it is and, hard uh, job but yeah and people can sniff it a mile off if you're not convincing or if you don't believe it yourself yeah. you know you can tell in your voice um so then I thought oh you know I researched what jobs there were in telecoms because I'd fallen into this career path of routers and um, D slams and all these these yeah. 
man techie things that, <laughs> um, <laughs> even though half the office was female yeah. but um yeah and then I found oh there's this job called a project manager and apparently they're really organized and I think I can do that so then I sort of put the feelers out um uh to see you know who I knew that might be able to give me a hand yeah. <laughs> getting that kind of job and actually um I interviewed for what the first one I interviewed for I got that job brilliant no, I'd had no, I had no experience in project management, had no qualifications, no nothing, didn't know what Prince 2 was. I'd be like, who's, who's Prince 2? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think a lot of us did that when we first heard of it. I, it took many years for me to realise what the heck that was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that's where it, it just went from there. And I absolutely loved it. Brilliant. Um, yeah. So what but I was sorry, go on. I was gonna say was um with getting in that role, because obviously you get um I've got to say that I've done some work within networks and telecoms um uh, myself, and there is a lot of niche knowledge around the the equipment, the hardware, the language, and it's very, very when if you look in IT in general, you kind of the software stuff kind of follows similar sort of things whereas when you start getting into plugging bits of wiring and open up firewalls and all that sort of stuff and doing all the oh, i forget the name of it now it's the one where where you where you decide what traffic goes through it and you have some of it will be voice some of it will be data and some of it's whatever and and balancing yeah. all that out um that as a as a project manager having come from software that fried my head for a long time because it was trying to work out what was going on and I think and a lot of the time it was again a different style of project management because it's a lot of on-site installation kind of things yeah. from what I, I remember and it is as you say about being organized if you organized and understand what you're doing is the key understand what the engineers are meant to be doing I think is part of it because you can get bamboozled quite easily regardless mm -hmm. of whether you superstar project management manager with all the qualifications in the world i think that engineering bias and understanding of all the bits of kit and how they stick together yeah to whatever level is, is quite important that's probably maybe that's one of the reasons why they went yes we need because you, you, you we knew it by then didn't you i suppose well i yes i yes i know so i i knew i knew sort of how a network worked yeah. what you needed for it to physically come together back to the exchange because we were selling a lot of that equipment but i didn't yeah. know anything about the wiring i mean we learned we learned about it but um learning it and then seeing it in the actual in its spot in an exchange and then imagining how that goes out from the exchange out to the street cabs the street yeah. cab to the sites how many sites there are and um, yeah that was a, a whole eye-opener and I spent because I was I was only in my mid-20s I was very motivated and yeah. had loads of energy don't know um <laughs> I am very motivated but I don't have a lot of energy yeah, yeah. no that's but, I know um, that feeling yeah so I spent a lot of time going out to site sitting with the engineers I even um did some of the punching down 
onto the equipment of the wires so you're getting the pairs in um and you could just see how complicated it really was in the sense that if so if one tiny element didn't make that connection it affected it impacted other things yeah and then there's a whole quality issue and then no people don't get to start paying the bill and then you know customer's not paying supplier can't pay the engineer engineer has to go back it's time more time on yeah. oh my god it was just like if the the times where it it was an installation went perfectly were like dream days but <laughs> you know things happen pliers go pop on the motorway and oh yeah. broadband is so ne necessary i mean back then when i was in my when i was 25 um it was tiskily and yeah. opal telecom which became carphone warehouse so it's yeah. that that many years ago now yeah, yeah those were the original big networks on tv weren't they and yeah. um the well-known ones so um and i they this this job that i got um it was for the opal telecom rollout right. which was carphone warehouse and it was yeah all eyes on um and i was absolutely terrified um but you know because i was quite cocky uh and a little bit arrogant because you know i well because of my age yeah i was gonna say what in my 20s everybody's yeah. a little bit arrogant aren't they because yeah. you have to it's, be yeah you need to be i know yeah so um you know i just thought well, this is going to be a breeze oh my god it was probably two years solid of getting up at six, five or six o'clock in the morning um making sure i was at the office bang on eight o'clock or whatever um and then working till midnight out on site sometimes you know getting calls from engineers being on you know five we had a rotor where the pms were on call so you'd have to take calls they couldn't get into an exchange because they were doing a night job and they said da, 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 da. oh it was it took its toll really did yeah imagine it would it's it that 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 length of time being on switched on and doing is is a lot that's a lot to do and uh, it, it it does um you can only the body and the mind can only do that for so long can it yeah but it was it was um yeah, it was the best experience I could ever have been given, really. Yeah. Um, so you, you you just said about um, uh, we we talk about the terminology and things like that, and you said about uh, uh, the exchange, the road. Did you say road cabs and punching down wires? Cabs, yeah. What do those mean? I'm sure there's people sitting there going, "That sounds interesting." What what is that? Is it um, when you say the roadside cabs? Are those those things we all see where? You have the open reach guy sat by looking like that's he's trying it. to fix something. That's that's what that is. Right. OK. And when you say punching down the wires, is that the little wires they've got in there and they're poking around doing stuff? Yeah. Yeah. And that goes on in the exchange as well. Yeah. So that's the BT, the BT exchanges. That's where all the big equipment equipment goes. Yeah. So we get yeah. the massive cables that go around the, around the country and then that what they call it, the local loop kind of stuff that hooks off yeah. off the end and things like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I remember be, being involved in something when I was working for Oracle, I think it was, and we were working to BT and it was around the local loop unbundling around that time. Oh, wow. 
right. Yes, well, so, that was all that. Yeah. The LLU, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was around that time I was, and I can't remember what the, we had some consultants working within BT that were supporting something to do with the local loop unbundling. I just remember all these phrases at the time. I had no clue what they meant. All I knew was I was down in Leavesden where they were filming Harry Potter across the road. So I was told, and I was kind of, oh, that's quite interesting. But that was. <laughs> Oh, wow so so yeah so that was a lot of high pressure work and, and was that did that carry on through your project management career and things like that or was it that that was just was it always full-on and that kind of projects pretty much yeah um yeah. I did work for a company that sent me to Australia to Sydney um and I'd only been there a month I think wow a couple yeah. of weeks or something and they said oh we need you to go to Sydney and I nice. said, where? Where's Sydney? And they said, Australia. And I said, what? What do you mean? I've only just started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, um, I had a stint. I think I worked in Sydney for about a month. And then with that same company, I went to South Africa. Wow. We had a project out there. That was really hard. Um, and then... Um, I, I've worked twice um, for a company that was based in Cardiff and Reigate. So that was the bulk of my career, really. Cool. So thinking about that, so we, we kind of know how you got into being a project manager. You kind of said, I want to do that. I found that's what I wanted to do. Um, what, what would you consider to be the first project that you managed in your head is kind of right. That was the first one that I went, hang on, I'm in charge of this. Tell us a little bit about it. So, well, that was my, yeah, my first job. So that was the Opal Telecom. Yeah. So um, I was doing doing the, the that, that whole thing you just talked about with the early mornings and the late evenings and all that. Yes. And I lived, I lived, um, I lived in Shropshire at the time, but the company that I worked for was in Swindon. So I lived in a hotel for about seven months. Oh, geez. During the week. Um, yeah. And then I was traveling, traveling to Warrington a lot. Right. Uh, so, so it was full on. Yeah, that sounds full on. So thinking maybe a bit broader on some of your other projects, it, the question I normally ask on this is around what the biggest project you managed was and kind of biggest is where I say I kind of talk about it as um what's most significant not necessarily in money in number of people in I don't know whatever mm. boxes installed or whatever but what what was the one that you think actually that was that was the beast that was the the one that either you felt that made you made the most difference in or or, or it just just was big um, it was probably uh, one of my last uh, projects that I'd worked on. Mm. Um, I, I won't, obviously, I won't mention any names, um, but it was for a, a big council. Um, but it involved a lot of schools. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's <laughs> sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> um, quite stressful for everyone involved, <laughs> including, you know, head teachers and um but knowing that it was things were getting delivered to where they needed to be um and it was connecting schools 
yeah. and you know and things like fire and rescue as well came in you know on sort of side side projects and things like that within the counties um uh so it was really satisfying you know when when things completed off because that's that is vital yeah that, i'm not saying other networks aren't but in the no. grand scheme of things you know yeah. they 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 use these things every day for learning for you know yeah. um saving lives and and things like yeah. that so make a massive difference to the to yeah. society isn't it it's kind of it's, and, that's, yeah. and I, I was chatting to someone not long ago and they were they kind of realized that what they were doing was in a similar vein they were doing it with with nhs and doing things with the nhs and it's kind of it's it wasn't so much what it was it was the impact that it could have because of it touching society and that and that's the thing is if, if you're you're if you're helping a couple hundred kids couple of thousand kids to get a better and and more access to education well how much more influence can you get and then if you're helping the fire service and people like that to react quicker and have a bit of a better service well you you're creating lives and saving lives aren't you and through your change that you're making there and that's what sometimes is i forget it and we forget it as project managers that those changes might be for an industry or for a business but at the end of the day, there's a, a member of society that's going to benefit from it mm. or thousands of members of society. And it's that I, it's kind of all talk about the fact that we're changing the future. We're making the future when we're doing those sort of things. And that's uh, that's where it can be. That's where you can draw that mega satisfaction from. Yeah. It's not just get away from looking at the details of it's a bit of software code or it's a bit of hardware being plugged in. It makes massive difference. So, yeah. so thinking about that, that project or other projects, what what was the biggest screw up that you've made when you were in your project management career? And and more importantly, I, I suppose actually I should have asked that on the other one. The, the other project is what you learned from it. So you, you've got a wry smile there across your face. So I'm guessing it's something <laughs> you're not sure what to say, or you've got something interesting. Uh, biggest or oh, biggest screw ups. Um, <laughs> it's got to be something like, I don't know, forgetting to, I can only think of really maybe what a couple of occasions that it happened, but maybe forgetting to order a, a piece of equipment. <laughs> um, <laughs> that obviously is a vital yeah. You know, thing. Um, what did what but, did you? You know, these so, things are, are always overcome, and, and yeah, you just have to get it sorted. I mean, th there are countless times where I can think I've made mistakes. Yeah. Um, but where, as soon as as soon as you realise you've made a mistake, you go into that hot sweat, and you think, "Oh my god, I've really got to fix this now because nobody's going to save me." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it's, it's that one way you kind of, with those scenarios, you've got to go, most of the time you're going to put your hands up and go, I've messed up. I, uh, I know that. Yeah, because if you try and hide something like that or bullshit it, you get caught out, don't you? Always, always yeah. get found out. Um, yeah. yeah. I learned that through experience, just always just come clean straight away. As soon as you know, even, it's, even if it's 6am in the morning and you've just woken up and realised what yeah. you've done, 
just send the email, you know, quickly, just, just send it on your phone, send it to the, the customer and say, I've just read, you know, yeah. and then it's, it, it's bad, but it's never as bad as, you know. Yeah. I think, I think the thing is, is most people recognize that we're all fallible. We all, we all make mistakes. And, um, actually to be frank if if you're dealing with someone who doesn't recognize you've made a mistake you've made an error you'll try and fix it and if they can't accept that or, or treat you in any different way well actually you probably don't want them as a customer or as a, as a manager do you you kind of you're in the wrong place in those scenarios because not everyone's perfect I and mean, i've got when you look in the project management arena these days around the agile thing around failing fast and and learning quickly and that that's you've got to allow people and i was reading something must have been yesterday there's a diagram of of psychological safety and psychological threat or something like i can't remember what the other one was and at that whole point of this starts to the fact of being able to make a mistake without reprimand without um uh being battered or whatever i can't remember what it said but then there was a, a sort of a, a, a um a feedback loop but kind of said, if you've made a mistake, then you look at lessons learned, then you make your changes, then that encourages innovation, but then you'll get more mistakes. But it, but it is, that's, it's a positive circle of, of getting there go, you do something, you mess it up. Oh, it's a feedback loop and keep that feedback loop. Going. But what happens is if people get battered and not allowed to learn and not forgiven for making that mistake, obviously if someone does the same mistake over and over and over again, well, either they're in the wrong role or there's more or the education's not right but mm. that ability to fail fix that failure learn, learn from that failure fix that failure and, and use that as part of the, that cycle if you stop it well people stop taking risks and if you stop taking risks you stop doing innovation if you stop innovating mm. you, your business dies yeah and i think and that's 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 where you know yeah it's learning from screw-ups and, conf and confessing to screw-ups is so important so obviously that's swapped that around to a little bit more positive now on, on something. Now, there's a couple of lines I've got on mine. I kind of combine them now because quite often, and maybe it's the last conversation. Um, it, it's around what your proudest project delivery was and what your proudest project achievement that wasn't necessarily about the delivery itself. Um, and thinking about your projects and how, how, you, how you dealt with those. So my proudest project delivery yeah which one you thought oh yeah i was I, I did well on that i was brilliant and maybe on the other side of it is it maybe or or as i say something that you you said right i'm i'm that whole something mm. within that was proud whether it was coaching someone solving a problem or the end result as we talked about with the schools or something like that which mm. what what made you just stand there and think yeah i'm proud of myself um, probably back to one of my earliest ones, really. Um, so the Tiskali network, um, after I'd pretty much completed the Opal Telecom one, um, they sort of moved me sideways onto the Tiskali one because it, it had been such a long running project. Um, I know they'd had a few project managers along the way and, and people, people leave if, they, you know, they're on contracts. Yeah. Um, 
so I remember getting involved with that and I, I didn't finish it by any means because it was such a you know it, it went on and on yeah um but um picking that up and I I think I did a really good job tidying up yeah some messes and I don't know if that's because um there's been so many people involved that things like just the documentation was messy and things were not in order and, and I just went in and I tidied it up and I got great pleasure from doing that and it's just it's just not some people's bag is it yeah um but I was so proud of that um, Some, I, I can understand that I know I, being able to look at something that is not organized not coordinated and not in a in a structured manner and i've been in similar situations um because it's kind of the the basics of mm. an, a, a, a project having a project that is uh, the, i think i talk about is around projects not not feeling as if they've got a rhythm to them it's it's all zooming back to this all this different uh, rather it should be just kind of something regular about it knowing that you're hitting the mark and hitting the beat all the way through it and yeah. um and sometimes it is about that organization because i'm putting structure in the governance and the basics and i'm not someone who, who thinks that we should have thousands and thousands of pages of governance documentation that's i I firmly believe people deliver projects, not not process. But there's a yeah. min, there's a minimum you need there, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah. and it's and it's almost like common sense a lot of yeah. it. Um, yeah. But it's uh, obviously the things like the methodologies do teach you sort of how to hone in that yeah. common sense. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that that if you sit back and read through the methodology of going, right, okay, so what are you going to do on a project? Oh, well, we're going to get, we're going to start it, right? We're going to have a way of starting it. Well, of course you would. You talk to all the people, you work out what you need. Well, of course you would. And you break it down into, take all the jargon out, throw that, all the all the different jargons that we get in there and talk about what you're going to do. It's kind of, well, we're going to work out what we're going to do, but we probably need to know why we're going to do it. We're going to work out, who needs to do it and we work out when we're going to get it done by and then we're going to measure how we're doing against all those things and when and then we look at things that might stop us it's actually really quite conceptually it's very mm. simple and yeah, there's a lot yeah uh, but we do complicate it a lot um but if you uh, but but sometimes it's 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 by I think it's by everyone in in an industry. You understand the jargon, you learn it, and it becomes default. And actually, you're still doing that same thinking, that simple thinking, but with the the different tools to do them. And then the tools become the focus, not not the thinking and the thought processes. And it just kind of kind of I don't know. It just kind of we get tied up in whether it should be this form or that bloody form, and it doesn't matter it's a risk yeah. <laughs> does it matter whether we've mitigated whether we've done it whether, well it doesn't really matter is it going to stop the project no right okay good let's move on is it going <laughs> to stop the project yes right let's do something about it it doesn't really matter on some of the classifying it as a certain people process or whatever just 
sometimes bringing it up that level makes life a lot easier, I think, especially for people who aren't project managers. And for the majority of the time on a project, there aren't many project managers, is there? We're in a minority. So using our language and our terminology doesn't necessarily help the people no. delivering it. Yeah, it kind of alienates people sometimes as well, I think. It's kind of you going, and it's how you about how you get that across and get people to contribute. Well, I hope you enjoyed that first part of the interview with Victoria. Um, and next week, she'll be back and we'll hear the, the second part. Uh, fascinating rest of the interview, I know. So uh, thank you very much for listening and look after yourself. Wow, you made it this far. I'm guessing that you enjoyed the show if you have, or maybe you've just left it playing in the background and forgot it was on. But if you did enjoy it and uh, you're inclined to, I'd be delighted if you could share your, the show with your colleagues. Uh, it's a discoverability with podcasts is quite difficult, especially with a niche one like this. But sharing with your colleagues and letting them have a chance to listen to these fantastic guests would be brilliant. If you've got time, a review on whatever platform you uh, listen to it on uh, would be great too, especially if it was a five-star one. Again, that makes it easier for people to discover the show when they're searching on there because the comments uh, raise it up the old search engine ops and optimization on all the different tools if you are feeling flush i have a couple of ways you could uh, contribute one is patreon uh, patreon slash sunday lunch pm and you can uh, uh, donate some money to the to the podcast that way uh, or you can jump along to my my um website nigelcreaser.com www.nigelcreaser.com and click on the link to the shop and in there you've got all my books that i've created uh, in the varying different guises in a number of different ways you can grab a copy of those and down the bottom i've got the uh well, my guests books so everyone who's been on here if they've had a book i've got a link to their their uh, their book in there and amazon give me a little bit back for when someone buys from them but uh, more importantly uh, if you come back next time and listen, um, I'll be delighted. So I'll leave you alone and let you get on with your day now. Thank you. Bye. Well, it's goodbye from me, Nigel Creaser, and it's goodbye from him, the Sunday Lunch PM. Goodbye. <laughs>